0: Hey, welcome to the weekly Bible reading where Summer, Sherry, and Elizabeth and a variety of guests come together and talk about God's Word. We are each in different seasons of life, but we have this one thing in common, the love of God and the desire to better understand His Word. We're glad you're here and we hope you gain from our conversations as we discuss specific books from the Bible each week. Thanks for listening. Okay, so we are ready to get going on chapters 33 through 36 of Numbers today, and uh, Sherry and Elizabeth and I have divvied up these chapters um, to kind of walk through one at a time, but before we jump into that, um, 33 through 36, what were some of the um, things that stuck out to you, themes, that kind of stuff in this section in particular? Elizabeth, if you don't mind getting us started.
1: Yeah, so the kind of and overall thoughts I had last week are kind of the same as this week because these are the final things that Moses is conveying to the people and the final things he's doing before he dies. And I think a big kind of sub-theme of that is um, just really solidifying, emphasizing the people's holiness and making sure that they know that they are set apart. So um recounting the journey talking about where they've been dividing up the land this is where you go this is not where you go how to stay away from like the Canaanites you drive them out um and even with the inheritance the the land stays within the different tribes so I think there's this big emphasis on we've been teaching you how to be holy and you gotta keep being holy even when you're in the land of the Canaanites.
0: Yeah, and along with that, that ties into the theme that I was, it's not necessarily in every chapter that we're going to cover, but in particular in the last chapter um, where we're looking at the daughters of, I'm going to say Zolopheb. Thank you. Um, They uh, especially bring this out, but the ancestral inheritance um, is just something that is sticking out to me as something that I've recognized in other places in the Bible and it's a very big theme um, of just in general our inheritance or the Israelites' inheritance and then later our inheritance. And so anyway, that's that's something uh, in this section as a whole that I thought, okay, I, I want to start paying closer to attention in future Bible studies to when that comes up and how that's used, like you were saying, in God's preparation of making them a holy people part of that is, you know, this in, to to enable them to be good stewards and take care of the inheritance that they've been blessed with. So, there's a lot to that that uh is running around my mind, but that was the main theme that um I was, you know, kind of drawn to, I guess, <clears throat> from this section. So, Sherry, what about you?
2: Um just so I don't think uh I think this is uh I do think this is a, a, a section numbers thirty three one through um, through thirty six, um, uh, just based on you know the research I did as far as the structure of it, um, and so I think what um, we need to keep in mind um, when we're studying these things is that it seems almost seems like. Moses is just like throwing these random things in at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's actually, if you think about where we've been and the things that we've studied up to this point, it's actually actually in there like that because it's part of the chiastic structure. So this particular chiasm starts in Numbers 21 and so we've come a long way since that, so it's kind of hard to re- remember that that's where we've been. But now we're sort of, we're, and, and the the center of the chiasm is the victory over Midian, in chapter thirty one. <coughs> Excuse me. So now we're going back down the other side, and so we're going to see these things in reverse order to when we saw them at the beginning of the chiasm. So at the beginning, uh, towards the beginning of the chiasm, we had um, um, a uh, a list of uh, the twelve tribes. Um, we had the allotment of land. We talked about the Levites. We talked about Zelophehad's daughters. Um, uh, then we talked about Joshua and Eleazar to to lead the people into Canaan since Moses was going to be gone. Then we had offerings and gifts. And then we had the um, then we had the victory over Midian. And then we go back to then we went back to offerings and gifts. Uh, the Transjordan. Transjordanic tribes um, uh, talked about with reference to how Moses presents it to Joshua and Eleazar. So we have Joshua and Eleazar again. And then we have another list, which is what I'm going to be talking about in chapter 33 a list of um, uh, the journey, the stages of the journey. And then we'll talk about the um, uh, 12 tribes again the Levitical cities, the allotment of land again, Zelopheheth's daughters again, um, and then then the dividing up of the land, um, larger tribes getting larger lands, and then it goes, it spills over into Deuteronomy, um, I believe it's Deuteronomy chapter uh, three, maybe? Um, So, um, so, that's why it seems kind of haphazard at the end of Numbers because that's really not the end of the mm-hmm. chias- chiasm that Moses is trying to to lay out. So that, and again, the the the, the focus, the point of the kioskic structure is so that they could remember it because they couldn't read, so they couldn't read it, so they had to remember it, um, and it's, it's just an easier way for them to remember it. So it it spills over into Deuteronomy. Um, uh, chapter 3 um, where it talks again about the victory over Sihon and Og um, and then and then we'll go into another you know another structural thing in the book of Deuteronomy but um just summarizing that's that's kind of why this is structured the way it is
0: okay um and I appreciate you bringing that up <clears throat> about Paul spilling over into another book because uh, a lot of times I'll think of that In terms of chapter breaks, and that's one of the reasons I appreciate um, doing some like daily reading um, without uh, the distraction of chapter breaks to kind of you know read in a quote more natural, you know, way of if you will when I'm just doing you know Bible reading. It's written right, but crossing over to books sometimes does not necessarily. I mean, it, it, that's a a harder jump sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think mentally for us, and I know for me, because it's the end of a book, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it should have mm-hmm. the concluding mm-hmm. and stuff and all yeah. that. And so I appreciate you bringing that up. That you know, again, this is a part of the five books of the law, um, and mm-hmm. and not to you know where the chiasm's are going to be, you know, within those to a degree. Mm-hmm. And then you know, and then that set kind of be unto itself, in like the books of poetry or the books of history, or you know those others um in other areas but um but appreciating that what looks like a hard break to us because this is the end of numbers um and Deuteronomy begins another book is not necessarily true, and you had brought up before, um you know like uh Genesis going into exodus, you know there's it's a leading into mm-hmm. the next um the next book. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I appreciate you bringing that out as always um because I do think those are uh, not always as easy mm-hmm. to see um clearly unless you're looking for it.
2: Mm-hmm. So, thanks for bringing that and, out. You know, we 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 think that we tend to think that this is a thing of the past. Right. But we do it too. Like we have a movie that has a cliffhanger at the end. Um saying, "Okay, this isn't the end of the story. This is and 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 that's exactly what the end of Genesis is. It's a cliffhanger. It's mm-hmm. Like, okay, Moses or J- Joseph was put in a tomb in Egypt. And then what? <laughs> so right. So, there's obviously more to the story. So, we do that all the time, you know, with with book series, with with movies, we we tend to like if it's going to be a series, the story doesn't end here. Mm-hmm. There's a cliffhanger that that makes you want to like go on and read the next thing, right? <clears throat>
0: and that that does give you an appreciation for for studying and reading in such a way that is not so um, compartmentalized right. that you lose that, right. you know. Right, part. and we tend
2: to do that when we're when we're studying our New Testaments, particularly. We get go verse by verse, yeah. And it's like this verse it it it, 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 it is not. Is not separate from the rest of the letter. Right. This is just a sentence in the letter. So mm-hmm. you know, and, and we tend to do that because we tend to want to really be, look into it deeply and say, what does this verse mean? Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't really mean anything unless you put it in the context of the rest of it. Absolutely. Sort of so.
0: All right. So we're mm-hmm. going to get go ahead and dive into uh, chapter thirty three. And uh, Sherry, why don't you go ahead and get us started there?
2: Okay, um, so chapter thirty-three is a recounting of the journey, um, going back to the beginning of when they left Egypt. And verse verse one: These are the stages of the people of Israel when they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And then it goes on to you know uh, uh, he goes on to recount all the places that they stopped. Um, one of the things to remember is that um, is that all these places are not places that we know. Like some of them are, mm-hmm. um, uh, they're also probably not cities. They might just be a place that they camped and they called it by this name. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation as to between between um, when they uh, we have a pretty uh, accurate and detailed account of when they left between the time they left egypt to sinai to Kadesh Barnea we have a pretty good idea of how long that took and all the places that they stopped Um, but from Kadesh Barnea till we come back to Kadesh Barnea we have no idea where they went. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of places mentioned. Nobody knows where those places are. Those might not even have been the names of those places. That's just what they called them because they camped there. It might not have been a place. You know, you camp out in the middle of nowhere and you go, okay, well, we're going to call this, you know, you know, the camp of the butterflies because there was <laughs> a lot of, or whatever, you know, yeah. the camp of the frogs or whatever. And that's just because that's, what you named it. That doesn't mean that that's what the mm-hmm. name of it is or it, that it even has a name. Yeah. Um, so, um, so there's going to be a lot of mention of a lot of places here that were like, where is that? I don't know. Um, there's also, um, uh, so it's, it's kind of broken. We can, we can, it's not, he, Moses doesn't break this out into sections, but we can kind of see some section breaks. Um, <clears throat> starting, When they left Egypt, um, they set out from Ramses in the first month on the fifteenth day of the month. The first uh, of the first month. Okay, so on the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians, and so that's pretty significant. Um, So they went out triumphantly from Egypt. um, God passing judgment on their gods, which is what it says in, uh, verse four. Um, uh, and then, and then he, and then he goes on to say where they went and we can, pre- if you look at a map, you can trace that like basically down the eastern side of the Gulf of Suez until they got to Sinai. And, um, um, it, numbers recounts a lot of the things that happened on that, on that journey. Um, um, uh, you have, um, um, the quail and the manna and water issues, and then the, then the incident at Kadesh Barnea where the spies are sent out, and that's kind of, there's a break there. Now, um, no, I, I looked at, I looked at this, and I, I read, um, Brother Waldron's, um, accounting of it, and I think this explains it pretty well. So it doesn't say, um, in this list, it doesn't say where, it doesn't mention Kadesh Mm Barnea. It mentions a place called Rithma. Um, So that is, according to Brother Waldron, he said, this is a difficult section. (laughs) and um, if he says it's difficult then it's difficult. <laughs> um, so um, but he calls it so it says they set out from Rephidim in verse 15 and camped in the wilderness of Sinai so there's a, well, that's like a marker there we know where that is and we know how long it took them to get there and they set out from Sinai and camped at Kibroth Hadava hmm. and where is that? I don't know um and then it says they sent out, they set out from from there and camped at Rithma. Um, in verse uh, 18, it says they camped at Rithma, um, and they set out from Rithma, and then it names a bunch of different other places. And so the, according to Brother Waldron, so the the implication when you don't read about Kadesh Barnea in there until later is that. Um, they camped at all these different places on their way to Kadesh Barnea, but the, it, it's not that far. Mm-hmm. It says it's an it's an eleven days journey. Now, uh, uh, this is something he also mentioned. So, eleven days journey doesn't mean it took them eleven days to get there. It's a it's a distance marker, not a time marker. So, if I say it's a um, when when we lived in Nebraska and we drive down here. I would say it's a 14-hour drive. That doesn't mean it took me 14 hours to get here. It right. might have taken two days Yeah, because I stopped. Mm-hmm. And so same here. It would have been an 11-day journey if you just walked for mm-hmm. 11 days. But, but they took longer than that. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that there's like 19 places between Mount Sinai and the first mention of Kadesh Barnea. Mm-hmm. And he's like, there's no way that they... Stopped at nineteen places mm-hmm. on, on an eleven-day journey, but what um, what he does think is that when it mentions Rithma, that that is either at or near Kadesh Barnea. Hmm. So he's not calling the place Kadesh Barnea. In that instance, he's calling it Rithma, which is either near Kadesh Barnea or it is right there and it's just called by a different name mm-hmm. um, because then that would explain all the other places until it mentions Kadesh Barnea again and so the idea is then that um, um, I just wrote this um, uh, uh, Brother Aldrin said Rithma is almost certainly either the same place as Kadesh or very near it um, I wrote that it is apparent that they were traveling around in circles in a very small area between Kadesh Barnea and Sinai in the wilderness of Paran for about 38 years. So we had this condensed um, time for 38 years where we don't know where they went. They just were in the, wilderness, uh, uh, between, in the wilderness of Paran, which is between Sinai and Kadesh Barnea. And we know they didn't go very far east because Edom is there. And we have the account of when they tried to go through Edom, and that was later. Mm-hmm. It, that was like almost at the end of the 40 years, um, and that's where they had to go around in order to get on the east side of the Jordan River. And it's it, it Edom's territory starts at the at the south end of the Dead Sea and goes down um, south um, almost well. Almost to and Geber, which is another place that's mentioned that's on the tip of the Gulf of Aqaba. So they wouldn't have gone oh on that side. So they would have stayed in that area between Sinai and Kadesh Barnea for almost the whole time. We just mm-hmm. we don't know where it, where it was. But but Moses does write in here all the places that they that they camped, and he apparently kept a, a log of those things. And so then um, they end up. So they started at, at the beginning of this section. They started at Kadesh Barnea, and then they were told they had to wander for thirty for forty years, and then we find them back at Kadesh Barnea mm-hmm. um, because that is where that is near Mount Hor, which is where uh, where uh, well, Kadesh is where Miriam dies, and Mount Hor is where Aaron dies, and they're fairly close together, and they're fairly geographically close together. Um, and so that's how it's kind of laid out here with all these different names of all these different places. Um, but if, if you think of Rhythma as being Kadesh Barnea, then you can kind of get it a little bit better. it makes a little more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so and if you think of it as like, okay, they went they were at Kadesh Barnea to, to begin with, and then they came back around there. Why? Because they were wandering around in the wilderness and um, and and Kadesh Barnea and and um, Mount Hor are right sort of on the edge of Edom as right. well. So we know they didn't go any farther east. They they probably stayed farther on the west. Um, at the end of the chapter, um, um, there is an admonition for them to drive out the Canaanites, um, uh, and it, it ends at. At, at Nebo, well, it ends at, on the plains of Moab by by Jordan at Jericho. So basically that area, plains of Moab. Um, Mount, Mount Nebo is there. And because that's where Moses was, obviously, when he wrote this. So mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't go farther than that because he doesn't go farther than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then at the end, then he, um, uh, then there's, and the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab. So that's a break. Um, and then, um, basically God is reiterating, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to drive out all the inhabitants. Um, I think verses 55 and 56 are a prophetic warning. It's a warning that God will do to them what he had planned to do to the inhabitants of the land if they do not drive them out. And it's also a prophecy that that's probably what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And, And, and we know that because that's what happened. Yeah. Um, they failed to drive them out and they became barbs in their eyes and thorns in their side and trouble in the land. and God did do to them like he thought to do to the Canaanites because because they didn't drive them out, which is what they were supposed to do. right So um, that's kind of how the, how this chapter ends and then um, it moves on to chapter 34 and talks about boundaries. Okay. All right,
0: so Elizabeth, was there anything in addition to that that you wanted to pull out from 33 before we walked into 34?
1: Yeah, I really appreciated how you kind of walked through all the places and the important places because I was reading through there and there were a lot that I didn't remember and I was very lost. Yeah. Um, but I did like that. the part that I did grasp very well was that last chunk. And I think it's especially important that Moses is reminding them um, number one, you need to get all these people out. And number two, when and if you don't, if and when you don't, God's going to punish you for that. And I feel like that's really important, just being a few chapters on the heels of uh, their idolatry with the um, the Moabites and the Midianites bringing in Baal worship. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what's going to happen if you're with the Canaanites, is you've already done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can imagine Moses just as moved as he was remembering that sin um and things like that how just absolutely angry it made him I can imagine how moved he was to make sure like hey don't do this again Mm -hmm. see um I think this fits in really well with like last things that you need to say yeah
0: Absolutely. Um so in thirty-four, we're gonna go ahead and walk over there and um go through that chapter. And this I wanted to do a little bit differently, uh, and I really appreciate uh Sherry's setup in the previous chapter because um what I have in mind for thirty-four is we're going through this. We we're going through the borders as Sherry said of you know their land inheritance. Um And a lot of times I think when we hit chapters like this, it can be, uh, there can be a couple of ways we can deal with this. Um, One of those would be to, you know, like we do with um, genealogies, is, you know, kind of skip over a whole lot of words we don't know or names or people we don't know. Um, and, And I think the same temptation is there when there are places that we're not familiar with, but one of the things that um, I think is helpful in any passage that we come to, and you know, say we read through the chapter in, in its entirety, and then look back and go, "I have no idea what I just read." You know, um, that a helpful thing to do sometimes it sometimes is to go back and say, "But what places do I know?" You know, what things can do I already understand, and get a good foundation laid of what you do know. Because I think, well, at least for me, it is surprising to me when I walk through something like that and then I go back and go, well, I mean, I, I know something. And then to start writing down, okay, I know, where, I know where this is, I know what this means, Um, that there's a lot more that I do understand than I give myself credit for sometimes when you kind of feel overwhelmed by, oh, I don't know that, I don't know. You know, um, and Um and just the way that Elizabeth did, when that lax section is to go, okay, there's a lot of places that are not familiar there, but what I do understand are these verses and not let that go to waste. So in this, um, chapter, I'm going to do something just a little bit different. Um, and I know this kind of may be challenging because we're, we're not videoing this, so it's going to be harder to, to see, but I I think this is doable and anybody who's listening to this I'd love to to get your feedback on this um, to see if it was a total waste or not but um, you know if we do not have in our minds already a somewhat functional map of the promised land um, I I think it this is a good place to get started Um, and and what I mean by that is even if I had zero idea of where any of these things were this chapter is so helpful because it will say because it says in the southern border okay well I've got a blank sheet in front of me in the south portion you know if I've got if I kind of quarter it off you know to make four sections on my piece of paper well then I can come down to the bottom two sections and go okay southern border that's going to extend from the wilderness of Zen Okay, I may not know where the wilderness of Zen is, but I know I can generally put it in the southern region, you know, mm-hmm. and, and going through these verses like that and kind of making up, you know, my own map to, to put things at least in the right um, directional places and then after that going to and go, oh, okay, well, actually... This is a little bit more to the West than I pictured it, you know, and so that you've got a framework because I feel like if, well, I know um, that I'm guilty of this. Of I, I I, have not been one that has known when I'm reading something, <clears throat> how important it is to visualize what I'm reading in in the sense of comprehend, comprehension. Um, and here in this chapter, that is such a helpful thing. To slow down and go, okay, you know what? What um, tribes are going to be in the southern area? What tribes are going to be to the west? What tribes are going to be north and to the east? Um, and so, anyway, I just I want to throw that out as sort of a a challenge uh, for us as Bible students to really take the time, and that's what I'm going to plan on doing with my kids uh, next week as part of our school is to go through and see you know, what we can come up with just from you know, the description that he's given us here mm-hmm. to start and then adding to that you know, from those who have, are much more learned than we are and have, you know, have gone to these places and could really pinpoint a lot of these places. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, 34, um, we are going through the mm-hmm. borders. We start with the southern border and um and run uh run its course on uh on where that extends to uh and then we move to the western border, and we're gonna kind of just start going clockwise um uh to where the great sea is uh is is that border, and a lot of us will know that just from bible classes you know where the great sea or the Mediterranean Sea would be for our western border. And then we move up to the north, um, and it says, and I love, and this is, I think this is NIV that I'm making my notes in. But verse seven, uh, this will be for your northern border from the great sea. You will draw a line to Mount So I think that's so helpful, Mm -hmm. Um, and and then go in the direction of Zedad, and uh, then we're going to move on from starting in the southern to the western. Uh, and then to the northern border, is that's the one that we're drawing the line uh, over to Mount Hor. And then lastly, we're going to be covering the eastern side. And then uh, he makes a point after going through all of that that these are the nine and a half tribes. Because, you know, just a few chapters back, we covered that the um, two and a half tribes are going to be two the east of the Jordan River. And again, that's another one that I think will be easy for us to recall. We know where the Jordan River is and it connects the um, Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea, you know, and have that in our mind um, of, again, another border that that we would be familiar with. Um, Okay, so in verse 16, he says, uh, he indicates that Eleazar and Joshua are going to be the main ones in charge to make sure that everyone gets the land that they've been allocated. And then after that, he's going to go through and name one leader per tribe who's going to assist with that, you know, on a more, quote, local level um, of making sure that those um, lands get divided up appropriately. Um, And again, just going back to this inheritance ideas, we're going to come back to it uh, in 36, but um, it is impressive to me here where he's going through and he's dividing up each place that uh, at the end of this chapter where the men are divided up, they're going to um, help in making sure everybody gets to the proper places. Um, It's just an impression on me and reading this what a task that was Um, not just in getting people to the right places but the steps necessary to take all taken in and on faith that God is going to keep his promise okay so we're about to actually cross into or over the Jordan and into the land now it's time to you know act on our faith um, and that's just, that's a theme, again, that you see throughout Scripture is God expects the walk of faith that says, I trust that what you say is true and real. Um, and that's that stood out to me in this reading, in this chapter in particular of, you know, just looking at the logistics of it impresses upon me how great a, uh, a faith they needed to show um, to do that kind of walk. And, and Joshua, I, you know, it's hard to think of anyone more perfect than Joshua to lead them through that. So, anyway. Elizabeth and Sherry, do y'all, do y'all have anything else to pull from that before we walk to the next chapter?
2: Um, so, a couple of things. Number one, you were mentioning about studying geography. Um, just a plug for Brother Waldron's book, called, The History and Geography of the Bible Story. Um, I went through that years ago um, and it was a huge eye-opener for me and really solidified going through that book. We went through it as a congregation in Lincoln and, um, I don't know, I think it took us a year to go through it, but, but it was um, extremely helpful because it laid out maps everywhere and he goes through he he ha, he'll have a map and then he'll talk about the stories that happen in a particular area and then there's a blank map for you to mark on there yourself where these places are mm-hmm. and um and that was extremely helpful to me because that doing that over and over and over and over again solidified that in my mind so that when someone says Ramoth Gilead, I know where that is. Right. Um, uh, if, if when someone when someone mentions any part, um, the, the Valley of Jezreel, I know where that is by memory. If somebody put a blank piece of paper up there, I could draw the Promised Land, and this is where the Valley of Jezreel is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's really helpful in just your understanding of. Both testaments, of, of what, because it's a geographical book. These are actual places. This is not a fairy tale. These are actual places and it helps your understanding of the of, of passages um, to understand what the layout is and how far it is between places and where these places are on the map, how close they are to roads, um, how close they are to mountains. Um, what it means when it says they went down to, Jer- to down from Jerusalem, down to someplace, but it's north. Mm-hmm. It's because it's geographically, topographically lower mm-hmm. in elevation. Um, and so there's just a lot of, uh, there's a, there, I feel like there's a lot of, um, ignorance that we have of Bible stories because we don't understand the geography. Right. And so I think it's really important to do that. And, and, uh. Um, uh, the, the other thing I will say is um, uh, what, uh, one of the people that I who podcasts and stuff that I listen to will say, Remember the names. If you remember people's names that are mentioned in certain like uh, events, in current events, and things like that, remember the names of the people because you're going to hear them again. And then you'll go, Oh, that was that guy. Mm-hmm. And so, Caleb is one of those guys that starts to get mentioned. There's a little sprinkling of Caleb here and there, but follow him. Mm -hmm. Like, notice when Caleb's name is mentioned and what he does. Yeah, very good. Anything
0: in addition to that, Elizabeth?
1: Yeah, I guess the the last thing that I would add is I think this connects really well to the end of 33 Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: you're kicking everyone out of the land, but then you have these specific borders to keep people Mm -hmm. out of your land, Mm -hmm and you don't go out of those borders. So again, I think this kind of emphasizes that holiness of you're set apart in your land, you're not gonna go out there, they're not gonna
0: come in here. Yeah, excellent. All right, and we'll go ahead and look at 35. Elizabeth, if you'll walk us through that, I appreciate it. Okay,
1: so the previous chapter was talking about the division of the land between most of the tribes, but the Levites are going to be different. So that's what 35 is. (laughs) And so instead of getting one concentrated area of land, the Levites are going to get individual cities and then the surrounding pasture land for their inheritance. Um, And something that Ryan has mentioned that it didn't click with me until he said it, was like yeah, you need Levites everywhere to do the sacrifices and to instruct the people so it wouldn't make sense that you have all your priests in one spot. You gotta kind of spread them out. So I think there was, besides the fact that serving the Lord was their inheritance to an extent, it also makes sense that they wouldn't have one concentrated physical inheritance. So there's Forty-two normal cities that are the Levites and they get the stuff around it just within certain tribes and then there's six that are the cities of refuge. So all in all they have 48 cities um, allotted to them and those are proportional to the size of the other tribes. So something big like Judah or Manasseh would have multiple cities dedicated to the Levites whereas something small like Like, Benjamin would maybe only have one or two. Mm -hmm. So the cities of refuge are specifically given as places that you can go if you accidentally kill someone. And there's going to be three on each side of the Jordan, so three where most of the tribes are, and then three to the east, if I understand that correctly. Um, And after... They outline just the number of cities and where those are going to be. There's very narrow exceptions for who gets to go to a city of refuge, who's eligible for that kind of asylum, I guess Mm -hmm. we would call it. So, number one, if you hit him with an, if you strike someone with an iron object, you're a murderer, you will be put to death. You're if you kill someone with a stone tool, you are a murderer, you will be put to death. Um, someone if you strike him with a wooden tool, you're a murderer, you will be put to death. And then it specifically says that if you are, if you push someone intentionally, or you lie in wait for them, or you're angry and you strike them down, you are a murderer. You will be you'll be killed. And specifically the one who kills the murderer so we don't have this like endless cycle of murderers there's (laughs) an individual that is the avenger of blood so i understand this and you can stop me if i'm wrong to be kind of like a next of kin very similar to the concept of like a kinsman redeemer Mm. except instead of like redeeming your property they're just killing the guy that killed you and then everyone is good i mean not, not everyone's good but everyone is even before god um so then, dropping down to verse 22.
2: Just yes. just to mention that real quick, um, I read uh, Brother Waldron says that the term avenger comes from the Hebrew word gal, G-A-A-L, which means to redeem. So um, he says the same thing that you just said, that the okay. redeemer, the, 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 it says it most likely refers to the same nearest of kin who would have the right to redeem the property of a dead relative. So Okay,
1: well. Thank you. I'm glad I connected those dots. There you go. All right. so, yes, dropping down to verse 22, this gives the conditions for what, I guess, in our modern terms, is basically like involuntary manslaughter, Mm -hmm. where you've done something that results in the death of a person that you did not intend to kill. Mm -hmm. So if you pushed a guy or threw something at him or... um, My favorite one, not that there's a favorite way for someone to die, but dropped a stone without seeing him. So he died like if you're up on a wall and you just drop a rock and it knocks him in the head and the guy dies, but you didn't mean to kill him. Those are all um, eligible for going to a city of refuge. And so they go and the Avenger of Blood can't get you while you're in the city of refuge and that's supposed to be a place where you can stay until the congregation can judge between you and the avenger. So um, you would both present your cases, and then they would decide, okay, yes, he killed this guy, this is a murder, he needs to be punished. Or no, he's innocent, he needs to stay in these cities of refuge. And this is where it gets absolutely wild. I, I really like how it all plays out after this. So the, the manslayer, the person who didn't mean to kill the guy, has to stay in the City of Refuge until the High Priest under which that decision was made until he dies. And then the the Manslayer is free to go back to wherever he came from. But if he leaves before the High Priest dies, then it is fair game for the Avenger of Blood to find him and kill him because he's not staying in the City of Refuge. Um, I can't remember if I made this very clear. If they decide that he is a murderer, you don't stay in the city of refuge. They put you to death. I can't remember if I mentioned that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then down at the end, it gives, like, the conditions of being put to death where you have to have more than one witness. You can't have one person say, this guy needs to die, which... Um, I'm not sure, I think this is the first place this principle comes up that you need more than one witness to put someone to death, I don't remember, but you see it pop up again a ton, especially like in the New Testament when they are putting Jesus on trial, they're like hiring people to say bad things about him so that they can get some sort of um, multiple witnesses. Um, there, just at the end here, there's a few more conditions, so if someone is guilty of murder, you can't pay a ransom for him. It'd be good he has to pay with his life. Um, if someone is in a city of refuge and he is innocent, you can't pay. He can't just pay a fine and go back. He has to stay there until the death of the high priest. And then the reasons for this is to not pollute the land in which you live. And I think this kind of ties together this whole kind of story of holiness. We got to keep the land holy by not um, shedding unnecessary amounts of blood, which I think reflects God's um, continual respect for life and how people are accountable for the sanctity of life. Whether you meant to end a life or not, mm-hmm. someone has to be held accountable for that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, down in verse 34, it's because the Lord will dwell in the midst of his people. And God cannot dwell with a bunch of murderers
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Excellent Um, So this was I thought uh, I was sort of halfway joking earlier saying Elizabeth got the spiciest Mm -hmm. chapter but uh, really the impression that I'm left with uh, after reading a chapter like that uh, are a couple of things. One you know my mind jumps to present-day circumstances, and while I know this is not, you know, this is not a um, blueprint necessarily for how all societies, you know, ought to be doing, you know, as far as the penal system and whatever, but uh, it just, it is a shock to my system because because of our current penal system <laughs> of, okay, if someone purposefully murders, the penalty, the, the you know, right, you know, I'm putting that in quotes, penalty should be life for life, you know. I mean, that, you know, if it is intentional, you know. Um, And then the whole thing about, you know, if it was accidental, them going through that whole community uh, trying you, uh, to me, it just, again, that speaks to godly wisdom of the people, your neighbors, the people around you, The ones looking at you and looking at the evidence and going, all right. I mean, has he been holding a grudge for long? You know, are are there are there reasons to doubt that this was accidental? And really, you know, knowing what's going on in your community, um, and those being the people that you're standing before trial on, um, to decide whether or not you can take advantage of that city. And and that's the thing is six cities, six for all of the Israelites, that's not much. And Mm -hmm. I just think, you know, again, of, you know, just our, Mm -hmm. you know, jail system who they're letting out, you know, by the masses right now Mm -hmm. because we're understaffed and whatever, and there's so many of them. But anyway, I'm not trying to get off into a political Mm -hmm. whatever. It's Mm -hmm. just that did stand out to me in reading this of just how much of a contrast that is to where I live right now, you know, Mm -hmm. and just, The justice system Mm -hmm. and and whatnot um and it seems you know i think in a lot of people's eyes would look overly simplistic but it also seems like that that was a working thing that Mm -hmm. seemed to do well so Mm -hmm. anyway um i just thought that was such an interesting read but sherry what else did you have before we hopped on to
2: 36 um I I thought you know Elizabeth covered this so verse thirty three and thirty four I think sums it up quite nicely. Blood pollutes the land. The only one who can atone for it is the one who shed the blood, and um, and then uh, the Lord dwells in the midst of the people, and so there can't be a lot of pollution where God dwells. Yes. Um, that's why we have so many regulations as far as being unclean, even though if you touch a dead body. Even though you sort of had to, because you whatever you know, mm-hmm. because you know, your mother died or whatever, um, you're still unclean. Yeah, uh, it doesn't mean you have to die; it just means that you have to like be purified. Um, so um, just the emphasis on on the land being pure and clean. Also, it's interesting you you were mentioning our current um, penal system and um, and lack thereof, and um, just I don't find anything in Israel's penal system that would allow for someone to be incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Like that's almost all we do. Yeah, either fine people or incarcerate them. Here's a case where it says you can't buy it. you can't buy your way out of it. Mm-hmm. There's no fine. There's no oh you pay a fine you don't. You don't get to, you don't have to suffer the consequences. They didn't have a penal system. Mm -hmm. You either were innocent and you lived or you were guilty and you died. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, there were other lesser crimes that people had varying different punishments for, but it was pretty much a trial. And then you were found either guilty or not guilty. And then you paid the penalty whatever that was, Mm -hmm. right then. Right. And then we moved on. Right. And um, so just instead of, you know, what we do now is just like put people on a holding cell and figure out what to do with them later, Mm -hmm. basically.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, anyway, it's uh, there's so many things like that, I feel Mm -hmm. like, in God's law that a lot of people do roll their eyes at, and Mm -hmm. then you go, but, I mean... mm -hmm. The way we're doing it, it's not working out so great. So maybe <laughs> exactly. we should reconsider. Okay. Uh, so very quickly, 36 is uh, the shortest chapter in this section, and as Sherry has already mentioned, it's going back to the da- daughters of Zilaphahad is how I'm going to go with that. Um, and uh, I-, I appreciate this section um, in its own right, uh, mainly because I-, I just it's so interesting and neat to see these women mentioned, um, what seems like a really wonderful example, uh, of integrity. And, um, anyway, they're brought back up. And this question is, is brought up about, okay, look, if they marry a fellow that's not in their tribe, then, you know, the year of Jubilee hits, um, and then their inheritance land is going to go to a different tribe. That's going to cause a problem. Um, and, uh, Verse five gives God's ruling on this, where He says um, that they may marry whomever they think best. Uh, oh, excuse me, verse six. Uh, they may marry whoever they they think best. Only they must marry within the family of their father's tribe. And then it goes on to tell us that's. I mean, that's exactly what they did. So uh, down in verse eleven. Um, they were married to the sons of their uncles, so basically their cousins. Um, and they kept the uh land within the tribe of the of Manasseh. Um, and so I I appreciate I, I appreciate that being brought back up. I mean, it's several times that we see them brought up and it's such a I feel like a, a great example of their um, not being bratty women, but being responsible, you know, God-fearing women who want to honor their family name and want to do that appropriately um, and and do do a good job of that. Um, verse thirteen uh, is the last verse here, and um, and the way that this, I mean, it does seem kind of blunt, but I, I like the the placement here at the end of, it kind of gives me my bearings one more time of, you know, this all happened um, here on the plains of Moab by the Jordan River opposite Jericho. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're prepared. It's time, you know, to go enter the land. Um, and like you said, that's, it's sort of, say it's it's a cliffhanger almost of, okay, but then what? what? Okay, let's go to Dior I Army, mean, you know, <laughs> and finish out that chiasm and get the rest of that story. Okay. Um, but, uh, our, our, our plan, hopefully, uh, Lord willing is, um, to do a, uh, one episode, so to speak of Deuteronomy as a summary, uh, next time. And then, um, we're going to go ahead and jump into Joshua after that, which I feel like is, uh, kind of where this is guiding us to. So, um, so I'm I'm really excited to be looking into that. But before we, uh, end out today, um, numbers we just completed as a whole. Um, and I've asked the ladies just to think, uh, either in this section or the book of numbers, um, just something that each of us, uh, is wanting to you know retain to meditate on um Sherry you mentioned the chiasms as far as a way to remember mm-hmm. things and i think that is so helpful um for us to be cognizant and proactive on um when we're doing our own bible studies is to implement ways for us to make sure that we are purposeful and there are certain things we want to as much as we can be able to stick you know with us for longer than you know, week to week. So, um, Elizabeth, if you don't mind, I'm going to start with you and then we'll just go around and wrap up that way.
1: Yeah, so the chapter 33 and going back over all the places that they had been to doesn't mean a lot to us, but I imagine it meant a lot to them because they might remember, oh, this thing happened here and they remember exactly what sort of trouble they were in, what sort of things they learned. And I think for me, personally, I want to work on remembering where I've been and what sort of things I've had to learn so that I don't lose those or lose sight of those. Um, Like specifically through their journey in the wilderness, people had to learn reliance on God and to trust in his plans and to um, seek his counsel. Those were some of the big things that stood out to me, like Whenever a problem arose, they would go ask Moses and Moses would ask God and they would figure it out. And I think looking back at their journey and then looking back at my own, thinking about times that maybe I didn't pray or seek good counsel and, okay, how did that go? And then use that to inform whatever decisions I make going forward. And I realize that's a, that is a big history nerd kind of answer because that's what i want to do for a living is see what people have done and how they've messed up and how we can not mess
2: up yeah i think it's a very profitable way of looking at it sherry what have you um i think it's been helpful to to me going through this to sort of look at the book as a whole i've always kind of thought that numbers was mostly about their wandering in the wilderness, and it's not. <laughs> um, um, I was looking at this, so the first almost, well, a little over a third, uh, so up through chapter 14, um, Numbers 13 is when the spies were sent in, so there's, there's and, and Numbers 14 is when they decided, okay, we're not going in. So that's over a third of the book. Mm-hmm is between Sinai and Kadesh Barnea. And then the next third is sort of happens during the wandering in the wilderness, but it doesn't really mention any events. Mm -hmm. It's mostly just talking about laws. And then the last third is mostly about their time on the plains of Moab. And so if you can remember that when you're studying it, then I think it, it helps me to know where things are. I I, I think um, early in my Christian walk, I was like, okay, I know that's in there somewhere, but I don't know where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I know that's in the Book of Exodus, but I can't remember. What. Um, but if you if you keep those things in mind, um, then you can you can sort of compartmentalize it in your brain. Put that in. You know, Numbers has three cubbies. Before the wandering during the wandering and after the wandering. Mm-hmm. And so then you can, then when someone brings up a story and you want to look it up, you can go, OK, it's got to be somewhere between Numbers 1 and Numbers 13 or whatever. Um, uh, so someone brings up the uh, mention of hads daughters, you can go, OK, well, that's at the end. So it's like somewhere between 26 and 36 mm-hmm. in there. Um, and uh, I think in a study of a book like the Book of Numbers, it's really helpful to to just get a get a sort of a structure and sort of a chronological structure of it, so that you can in your brain go, okay, um, and not get bogged down in names of places and things like that, but just like think, okay, so I remember, I remember Numbers 13, that was at Kadesh Barnea. Mm-hmm. I just the numbers thirteen. Uh, maybe my mnemonic device on that is thirteen. Bad things happen at thirteen. You know, thirteen <laughs> right. is an unlucky number, and so bad stuff happens at thirteen. So that's kind of how I remember it. Um, but anyway, anything that you can get in your brain like that, I think helps to study a book like this because um, you can get the bigger picture and kind of not get bogged down in the little details of names and. Because it's numbers, so there's like what a lot of numbers, and there's a census, and then there's a you know a bunch of places mentioned, and it's like okay, I, right. Your brain all is, runs together. Yeah, mm-hmm. it all runs together, and it's like what does this even mean? Yeah. Um, but if you can if you can just like get that structure down, then it then it sort of helps me anyway to to yes. know where things are and you know at least feel like okay I know where that is. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I appreciate
0: you bringing that up. And one more plug for uh, Waldron Resources. I don't know if it's in the history and geography or if in a different book, but I appreciated his analogy of, you know, back in the day when we had the uh, filing system Mm -hmm. and, you know, you've got folders Mm -hmm. in there and so you kind of, you know, you've got an idea of where Mm -hmm. you're going. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do, I think putting that structure to each book in particular helps kind of organize it in a way that your brain can process as opposed mm-hmm. to a lot of random things happening and no order to it. Um, so uh, for me, numbers as a whole um, is has uh, weirdly been about the inheritance thing, you know, like because it's a looking forward to it and a this is so important God has promised. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, you know, as far as proactively thinking through that, is again noticing throughout Scripture when God brings that up, um, and in particular of what what His people ought to be doing to receive that inheritance, um, because it's just all over Scripture. And Numbers is a very strong place where you see that you know there is a holding off until they are really ready. To inherit that uh, that promise, um, and when they when they do get that point, I, you know, in Joshua in particular, they are they're they're mm-hmm. so ready, um, and it is impressive. So, anyway, appreciate all the comments and all the thoughts, um, and looking forward to next time we get together and look do an overview of Deuteronomy. Thanks so much.